0: let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. First of all, we thank you that we don't have to send anybody off this week. Lord, we are so grateful and uh, maybe we'll be welcoming a few people. But Father, you uh, you have your times and your seasons in everybody's lives. Lord, we're thankful for that. We're thankful for this uh, incredible return of weather. Lord, we're, uh, we're deeply grateful. And I see just a few of our families starting to uh, Just seat back in a little bit, and uh, we're so thankful for them. We're thankful for those who will be coming over the next month or so. Lord, we're just so grateful to be here, to be a community who builds our very foundation on the reality of Jesus, Jesus Christ resurrected. Lord, we need your help, though, along this journey. This is a precarious road we walk, and we need encouragement. I need encouragement through your word. So we're just praying that your Holy Spirit would be here to give us insight Uh, into your word as we always pray Lord it is our ongoing prayer and I'm praying Lord it'll be communicated in such a way that will surprise me and uh, maybe even off script Lord uh, prophetic voice in a sense uh, just trying to translate what you want to say to your people and for that we are deeply deeply grateful in Jesus name amen amen well we're going to continue this series ...on the church at Ephesus. Well, not just the church at Ephesus, really the letter to the Ephesians, which uh, as we've seen, really was a, a letter, really a general letter to everybody... Before we get going, I want to review just a little bit. Last week, uh, we finished up on this idea of foreknowledge, election, predestination. We'll return to that at various points. Obviously, it's just such a central part of your understanding theologically. For you to be able to accurately understand God, you have to understand that He is not again subject to time. You're going to hear me say that over and over and over. It's important because God's not learning anything as we learned last week. He's never going to learn anything. He's omniscient. He understands everything. He he knew the end from the beginning. That's why it's not hard for him to prophesy about what's going to happen in the future. And part of what's going to happen in the future is your very inheritance in Christ. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we proceed through this first chapter of the letter to the Ephesians. Just to give you a little background, I was talking to a friend of mine, Chris, this week, and Chris just said, boy, if you'd have just said that a little bit more concisely, and I said, I know, I struggle to say things. I don't always say them as concisely as I should, but just for your for your education. You know, part of this is not just, a, the church here, we're not here to be entertained. We're not here, I mean, we're really here to be equipped. I mean, our as we'll see in Ephesians chapter 4, our task as a church and leadership, across-the-board leadership, is to equip the saints, for the work of service. This is for you to be equipped. This is a hard battle we're in, man. I don't know if you've felt that this week, maybe some oppression or some struggle. This is a really challenging battle on this little mud heap down here called earth. This is hard, and uh, it it rarely gets easier. It gets more joyful long-term because Jesus is at the helm, but it's always a challenge. And so to understand God's timeliness, timelessness is important. So let me say again, let's think of this in terms of a construction of a building. At the foundation is God's foreknowledge. Out of his foreknowledge, because it's, he's not learning anything, he knows the end from the beginning, he sees the future. He's in the future, he's in the past. I don't get that. I can't feel that. But time had a beginning and God was there before time began. I know that's why the Bible says in the beginning. It wasn't in God's beginning. It was in the beginning of our timeline. God had foreknowledge and out of that foreknowledge he then elects because we've hit that in first in Ephesians chapter 1. He elects those that he's chosen. And so, first foreknowledge, and then election, and then you can think of it in terms of, well, now we understand predestination. What have you been predestinated for? Well, we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 2, for the good works that he prepared for you before the foundations of the earth or before time. Now, that's hard. that blows my mind that God would actually know or have specific works for me to walk into before he even spoke creation into existence. That blows my mind. Some of you say, I don't know if I can buy that. It's just so hard to conceive. And here's my challenge to you. Well, what's the alternative? What is the alternative to believing this? I mean, Jesus asked in John chapter 6, he asked his disciples. He said, do you want to keep following me or do you want to turn away like some of these others had? In John 6 verse 66 it said, many of the disciples quit following him at this point. Because he was talking about crazy things, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He was talking figuratively and they thought maybe he was talking literally but for whatever reason the disciples some began to turn away and the response was simple and concise where else are we going to go I mean that's what I would challenge you with where I know these are complicated topics but where else are we going to go and it's very comforting to to me to know that there is a force the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit who existed have always existed and that's why again God says I am just tell him, I am who shall I say send me just tell them I am so then out of your predestination really comes your really much pretty much your destiny your future your what what it, your life flows out of what you've been predestinated to do based on your election based upon God's foreknowledge and your response in faith obviously So that's what we talked about. It took us a couple of weeks. I think I confused myself a little bit, so I'm ready to move on. So today we're going to talk about inheritance. Before I I do, I want to just read this uh, quick story to you. Uh, You've heard me talk about this. It it is a continuing issue with me, this issue of North Korea. It's such a fascinating study for me. Uh, We had a beautiful man and his wife, uh, Precious. uh, He passed away a couple years ago, and it broke my heart, uh, Don Moat, it's a friend of some of you from Washington, uh, and he was an insider. He had actually spent quite a bit of time in, in uh, North Korea. And just to, just to get a feel for that, this little strange place on an island that it's ultimately cut off from an Internet, cyber-filled world, and it's, they're completely cut off. It's just such a bizarre case study to me. It's just so strange. And there's a young woman named Miss Park, and she was someone who was able to get out. And that's a very challenging thing to get out of North Korea. Uh, Most don't. And if they do, they make their way into China, and usually they're turned around and sent back to North Korea. And if you are, you're summarily killed. So that's the story. This is just a little bit about her. Check it out. My mother and I uh, both became victims. I'm going to start a little bit earlier. My family was starving. There just weren't enough potatoes and the only way to survive was to escape so like thousands of others my mother and i crossed the frozen river to china in the middle of the night i was 13 years old when i left north korea i didn't even know what it meant to be free all i wanted was a bowl of rice i knew that china had lights i thought if i go where the light is maybe there will be some food But the Chinese government didn't recognize us as refugees. They were actively trying to catch us and send us back to North Korea. There were Chinese people ready to take advantage of our vulnerability. That's how human trafficking happens. My mother and I both became victims. For almost two years, we were held captive in China by different human trafficking brokers who smuggled us across the border. We lived in constant fear of being raped or arrested and sent back. One day, someone told me We could be free in South Korea. We just had to get there. So I crossed the Gobi Desert to Mongolia with my mother and several other North Korean defectors. I accepted that I might die during this journey because there was no way to go back to North Korea and survive. When we got to Mongolia, the soldiers caught us. They told us, now you're going back to China and then you'll be sent back to North Korea. That's why we did not hesitate to tell them we're going to kill ourselves. We knew what the consequences were. The regime would have us executed, or we would just starve to death. So we threatened to end our our lives. We were lucky, I would say, not so lucky, but maybe providentially, but we were lucky and they didn't send us back. Instead, we were sent to South Korea. Now, check this out. Think about this for a second. I stepped off the airplane onto a different planet. In South Korea, everything was new and scary, I had to start my education all over again as a teenager. One of the hardest things for me was learning how to introduce myself. I had never done this before. My teacher explained the very first thing you say is your name and then your age and then your hometown. Then you can talk about your favorite hobbies and what you want to be in the future. I had no idea what a hobby was and I had never once thought about it and I, where I wanted, when I was growing up. There is no I in North Korea, only we. I couldn't even name my favorite color. I didn't know the right answer. So I copied my teacher, and she's who said her favorite color was pink, and it took me a long time to start thinking for myself. Because I was born in North Korea, I've never traveled anywhere, and I didn't have access to the Internet or outside information. Before I escaped, I had no idea that North Korea was one of the poorest countries on the planet. I didn't know that people living in other countries weren't tortured and starving, I just thought it was normal. Growing up, we were taught that people from South Korea and the U.S. were evil imperialists. In my school books, all Americans looked like monsters. For me, that was only my image of foreigners until I got to South Korea, and that's when I realized the power of brainwashing in North Korea. Everything, the songs you sing, the books you read, the math problems you learn, everything is brainwashing. It's emotional dictatorship, and it's how the Kim family has held onto power for so long. And it works. I grew up believing that North Korea was the strongest country in the world and that the Kims, who I was taught to worship, would protect and save me. But Kim Jong-un is one of the most brutal dictators ever, and his regime has one of the worst human rights records on earth. He starves, abuses, brainwashes millions of people. His government controls people through deprivation, deception, Strict censorship of all outside information, including foreign news, TV shows, and books. People caught consuming foreign media are severely punished or killed. North Koreans are thirsty for knowledge and they're, ta- and they're risking torture and death just to access content, pe- uh, excuse me, just to access content people who live in the free world and what we take for granted. Today I'm a member of the Board of Human Rights Foundation and I raise awareness of the plight of the millions of people still living in North Korea. They're just like me. They exist and they are suffering and they're waiting for us to help them out. I meet so many people who escaped from North Korea and to tell me that they decided to risk their lives for freedom after watching content smuggled into the country. We have to help people in North Korea win the information war by giving them access to the outside world. I used to think that power was only for strong wealthy people. I never thought that power could be used to protect the weak and the voiceless. Growing up in North Korea, there was no word for justice. There was no word for liberty, human rights, or even love. Because if you don't have the words to describe something, now catch this, you can't understand the concept. What we're going to talk about this morning is so hard because we have words, but we have preconceived ideas of what these words are. It's so difficult. It's so difficult for me to comprehend and I'm just going to take you down a, a biblical journey and then my own understanding of what our inheritance would be, is going to be. So says, that's why North Korea regime controls words. Once I escaped and realized that without these things we cannot fulfill our potential, we cannot be who we are as human beings. Today I have liberty and love. I live in the United States with my husband and our new baby. I have a life I couldn't have imagined during the most painful and difficult parts of my journey. I never thought that I would be completely free or that I would have the chance to fight for justice and give hope to people who have none. The kind of person I used to be. And every day I'm grateful that I no longer have to live in the fear of starving to death. She said basically as a child she would just go and and find dragonflies and, and grasshoppers occasionally and that's what they, that's the only protein she'd get. And lastly, I know now that my favorite color in sp- is spring green and my hobbies are reading books and watching documentaries. And what I want to be in the future is someone who continues to give strength to those who are weak, who speaks up for those without a voice. I don't have to copy other people's answers anymore. Now I think for myself, one day I hope millions of North Koreans can do the same. Now. The reason I tell you this story, and and um, it's simple. She lived in a world that it was the only world she knew, and as a result, when she got to South Korea, it was overwhelming. It was a new planet, she says. She said, "I, I didn't even have the words to describe liberty and love and freedom. I didn't even have the word. I didn't have the the words. I, I I didn't know how to comprehend. I didn't know how to." have pictures weren't even in my mind. All I had ever seen was starvation and death and torture and, and brutality. How can you even begin to put words on what a future can be like when you can't even envision it? I think what Paul's trying to do in this letter that's going to go out through Asia is that he's trying to grab their attention. He's trying to say, wait, you've been chosen before the foundations of the world. You've been chosen to receive ultimately an inheritance, and that's what I want to talk to you about. If you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 15. Ephesians 1, verse 15, words will fail Paul in trying to describe the future that awaits the believers. They fail Now, we do know a little bit about Paul that in some way he had been taken into the third heaven. He says, I don't know whether I was in my body or out. He had seen some things. Now, none of this was not, none of this was, there's all kinds of people that have dreams or they die and they have all kinds of visions and things. How can we trust this? Because everything he says, he correlates to what had already been written. And that's always so important for us to understand is that these things were already written. And he's giving language to what had already been written written and bringing it into a new dispensation of time, which is called the church age. This is what he says. For this reason, verse 15, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith and Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I can tell you, our staff, many people, we had a prayer gathering this week on Friday. There are people (laughs) praying for you every day making mention of you in our prayers. He says that the God Jesus, the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give to you, here's what we pray, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. If you could only grow in the knowledge of Jesus. We live in a world where there's lots of church and lots of religious activity, but there is a real deficit in terms of many of our theological understandings and the foundations, and so we tend to be wiped out at times. You know, we we like to go, but we don't really know the Word, and this is the point. I'm just praying that you would grow in wisdom and, and have insight into the knowledge of Jesus. That's our goal here. I mean, if you I say, what's the goal of Church at the Red Door? Well, we have a multiplicity of goals, but the primary goal is that you would fall in love with Jesus and actually know who he is and what he said. And then he says this. He says I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. What is his inheritance? What is our inheritance? How, and then, obviously, if we're going to get inheritance, we need to be his kids. We need to somehow get into the family. How does that happen? And then, ultimately, and this is important, what's it like? What's the inheritance like? What's it look like? What is this? So, I'm going to talk about this. What, is the, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? In other words, what are his plans for you, for him? This is, you know, he created you for himself, for relationship. You hear that all the time, but you've got to understand our inheritance is magnificent, unbelievable. What's God's inheritance? What can your inheritance really be if you're God? You already own everything. The cattle on a thousand hills, you own, I mean, you spoke everything into existence. Have you ever thought about this? What is God's inheritance in all this thing called the planet Earth and, and mankind? What is God's inheritance? It's his church. Have you thought about that? Do you realize how important that is to God? That you are his inheritance. That blows my mind. And he says, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Have you ever thought about this in terms of John chapter 12, verse 24? Jesus says something very interesting. He says, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it what? Bears much fruit. Think about this for a second. God so much wanted his inheritance that he he put himself in a position to do it the same way we do in terms of the physical cycle in which he created. That is, seed time and harvest. God wants a family... So he planted his son into the ground. And once he planted his son in the ground and he died, then his son came back up and what? Bore much fruit. And the fruit that Jesus was talking about here in John chapter 12 is his church. So God wants a family, he planted his son to get a family. It's the multiplying effect. What happens when you plant your life, when you follow Jesus, when you are conformed to his image through his suffering, when you pick up your own cross, what happens when you suffer in this life? Has God abandoned you are you being conformed into the very image of Jesus himself? See, when you die, you bear fruit. But a seed has to do what? A seed has to die for fruit to be born. It's a message over and over, and that's why the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel miss it on this. You know, this life is full of struggles. Oh, it's full of incredible joy and, and relationships that are actually deep and meaningful. And there's so much beautiful about the kingdom. We do get a foretaste of it—His inheritance already. We get a foretaste of it, but we still struggle. We still lose jobs. We still have physical ailments. We're still tempted. So, have you ever thought about that? God's inheritance—it's you, if you are part of the church. Romans eight, verse fifteen: For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. It's what we saw in Ephesians chapter one, verse five. He predestined us to the adoption as sons and daughters. He says, as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, now catch this, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we, what, suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, if, back to our concept of, you know, is it your work? Is it is his work completely? Do you have, what part role do you play? And this is that challenge, and this is one of those verses that you could get into and say, wait a minute, so we need to enter into suffering to be part of the family? Uh, so that seems like, well, that's the work I'm doing to be saved. No, it's just the perseverance of the saints, and it's, it's challenging. What we've talked about, right? Is it God doing the work? Is it us doing the work? Is it, and then this seems to be if. Look, following Jesus is challenging, and to, and to endure to the end, and I do believe God's doing the saving, and I do believe God's doing the completion of work, but we still have to endure to the end, and part of enduring is enduring through suffering. We're heirs if we suffer with Him to the end. We're heirs if we suffer with Him to the end. I don't know how that could be more clear. First Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1, lay a little foundation here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Now, wait a minute. Is he doing the causing or are we doing? Are you following me? It kind of gets back. You'll see both sides represented. Is it, yet from our perspective, we are believing and enduring and persevering from our perspective. From outside of time, he's doing all the work. I, I can't reconcile those, but it's just, it's just the language of Scripture. He says he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To obtain what? An inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, won't fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I don't know if this is really going to grab you. We think about kind of abstractly heaven, but think about there is an inheritance reserved in heaven. For his elect, those who've embraced Jesus through faith. Why do we freak out about dying? We do everything not to die, not to leave. It's an, and, then we, and then we were talking about this on Friday night. And because then we lose. We, I'm sorry you lost somebody. We didn't lose them. We know exactly where they are. I mean, it, 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 it's someone ushered into the next realm, this is powerful. They've moved into their inheritance. Reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revo- revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Again, here we have this, here's the inheritance. Uh, it's reserved in heaven for you. It's undefiled. It's not fading away. It's imperishable. I mean, who, who doesn't want that? There's no bad investment and then you lost it all in the market. There's no no house that's on a hill and then there's an earthquake and it falls to the ground. There's nothing that can be lost or destroyed through a bad investment. There's nothing. It's imperishable. It's reserved in heaven for you. Is that good news? That's unbelievable news. But don't worry if you're, don't be distressed by maybe some trials that you're going through right now. In other words, I think what both Peter and Paul are saying here is that you need to be so fixated on the next life that what you're going through, yeah, it's a struggle, and there's emotional battles, and there's we're emotional human beings. We were created with emotions. Of course we're going to have struggles. I'm not suggesting it's going to be easy. It's suffering. That's why it calls it suffering, and that's why it calls it trials. But don't be distressed by it. Don't you realize what awaits you? As I get older, I recognize it more and more. When I was 20, I yeah, heaven, haven't, but that's so far off, you know. It seems to draw more close every day. Why? Because it does. There will be a time when my time here on earth is done, and I'll be ushered into my inheritance. You know, it's been interesting in my life, and, and I, I hope this doesn't come off wrong. It's just because of golf, and because of the people that God has placed me with in life, I have been literally lived within the context of various families over the last 15, 20 years, some almost relationships almost 30 years old, of not millionaires, sometimes billionaires. And I've lived as part of the family, in the house for long extended periods of time, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, flying on their jets, riding in their cars, I've just that's what go- golf, through golf, opened that door for me, and that was a big part of my life, and to some degree continues to be. But there's one thing that I always understood. There's one thing that I always understood, even though, if, in, in fact, many people, because I spent so much time with some of these people, many people thought that I was a son, oftentimes thought I was a son. And uh, and so they would see me, and they would say, oh, your son, and, or they just assumed it after a while at various places we'd be around the world, and they just assumed that I was a son. But there's one thing that was true, is that when they die, we'll find out that I'm not a son, <laughs> right? There's trust, and there's all this, and I have no doubt that I'm not in any of those. But And so, in some ways, because I was an employee, but brought in a very relational way, I was a slave. In that fact, I have one of my one of my dear friends in europe who continues to bring me over there and they actually call me their american slave and it's fine it's fine it's true it's actually true for them and the more we lose in the Ryder cup that now he's calling me his america his ethiopian ski pro because americans can't play golf anymore that's his assumption because the europeans win the Ryder cup all the time so he introduced me as his slave or as his ethiopian ski pro so uh there's one thing that would help me understand when when, I, when they die, when they actually go on, we'll find out whether I'm a son or a slave. Well, I'll be a slave. Listen to what Galatians chapter 4, and I think this is what Paul's alluding to in his, his letter to the Galatians. He says, now I say as long as the heir is a child, Galatians 4 verse 1. As long as the heir is a child, he really doesn't differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. What do we call that? That's an inheritance. He owns everything through the inheritance process. He doesn't actually own it now. In fact, he doesn't differ at all from a slave. He can be in the house. He's part of the, kind of part of the family or the unit or the whatever it is, but he says this even though he owns everything, he says, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might do what? Receive the adoption as sons. Because your sons, God has sent forth his spirit, of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you are what? You are an heir through God. So let's take, the, let's take the metaphor on into the world now. Prior to me be redeeming, applying the blood to the doorposts of my house, so to speak, to be passed over in judgment, hence the red door for you people who are new. Before applying Jesus to my life... And his penalty that he paid and said, I don't have to pay it anymore. I've been redeemed. Because of that, even though I was a slave through the redemption that Jesus bought through the ransom of Jesus, then what happened is that I'm adopted in and now I'm no longer a slave. I'm an heir. So what if, you know, what if that happened with one of these various people that I've been with? What if they adopted me? We actually kind of, people say that at various points. I, I've heard it a lot around, around the wealthy. People say, oh, if you just adopt me, that'd be great. You know, everything would be great. If you just adopt me, folks, that's for something that's so temporal, so perishable, so part of this life. It fades. You can't take it with you. All that's true. What Jesus is offering you here as an inheritance through his blood is you are adopted into the family of God. And as a result, you become an heir. Let's see it again. Ephesians chapter 1. I I tell you what, let's move forward. I'm going to, just as a function of time, ask you this. So, if if we're a co-heir with Christ, and the Bible's clear that we are, if we are a co-heir with Christ, the first thing we say, well, if we're a co-heir, what is it that Jesus possesses? Okay, that'd be fair enough. Right? If, G- if we're co heirs with Christ and Christ already possesses these things, so what is he heir? Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. I know we're moving around a lot. If you're, not, if you're not used to moving around your Bible that fast, that's okay. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So, what is Jesus' heir of? Everything. Everything. Now, does that mean everything in Israel? Does that mean everything in the continental United States? Does that mean everything on this earth? Is that All dominion, power, and authority, are there multiple Christs? Are there multiple saviors around the cosmos if there is other life? I mean, all those are questions that I think we could answer is no, but nevertheless, the cosmos was spoken into existence by the creator of the universe, and I would submit to you that Jesus is heir of everything in the cosmos, stars, moons, galaxies, Billions and billions of galaxies, co-heirs. Does that blow your mind at all? To Jesus was appointed an heir and everything was submitted to him. It's a little bit what Daniel had seen. He saw someone like the Son of Man hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. He came up to the Ancient of Days and all dominion, power, and authority were given to Jesus. That was a prophetic statement made and a prophet, uh, a vision and a dream seen by Daniel hundreds of years before Jesus. Now everything's been under put under his feet. Colossians 1. Listen to this, the cosmic identity of Christ. I'm not talking about the cosmic Christ. Some just, Some of you may or may not know, sometimes cosmic Christ is a new age kind of a Uh, refrain, it's part of the emergent church, that is not what I am referring to in terms of the cosmic nature of Christ. I'm talking about that Jesus has dominion over all the created order. Colossians 1 verse 13, Colossians 1 verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, all right, okay, that's good, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth. Did you get that? Why is Jesus an heir? Well, it was also created by him. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and what? For him. is before all things and in him all things hold together last week if you'll remember the theological construct of imminence this is one of the verses that helps us understand jesus god's imminence god is involved he's not uninvolved in what's going on in creation lastly luke chapter 10 just the everything nature luke chapter 10 verse 17 The 70 returned with joy. He would sent out these 70 to go out and share the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is unbelievable. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Why? Well, at that time, he, nevertheless, he says, at that time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and had revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this, in this way, it was well-pleasing in your sight. Do you think he rules everything? Everything. Everything. So what is Jesus' possession? What is his inheritance? Everything. Everything. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes, now catch this, blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and didn't see them and to hear the things which you hear, but they couldn't hear it. What's been turned over to Jesus? Everything. Everything. He has everything. Okay, so what is our inheritance? If that's true of him, what is our inheritance? Well, we saw in Romans chapter 8 that we are what? Co-heirs with Jesus. Okay? And then now what... So i would question well everything is ours what about john 17 verse 22 what is ours well even the very glory of god the glory which you have given me i have given to them that they may be one just as we are one are you with me this is the great high priestly prayer in john 17 he says even the glory I've given them the glory that you've given me. I've given them the same kind of glory. This is involved. That's part of your inheritance, the very glory of God. Riches, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Certainly this involves both spiritual and physical. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now, I realize this means primarily the spiritual things the spiritual inheritance but man let me tell you something this is unbelievable revelation 3 verse 20 and 21 now catch this i i realize it's a lot of scripture but you just got to recognize it's not just something we're pulling out of the air here paul john peter they're making it very clear they spent three and a half years with jesus They Through the revelation of the Holy Spirit and going back into the text, they're starting to say, look, we're heirs. We never really saw this coming, which is going to be another big part of Ephesians, which is the mysteries of God. I mean, there are like 12 different mysteries. The mysteries of God are unbelievable. Can you imagine? Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I'll come into him, and I'll dine with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, again, overcome, endure, persevere, suffer, endure trials. I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So we get to rule with Christ? Revelation 22, and we'll see him, we'll see him as he really is. 1 John 3 and then also Revelation 22. We will see his face and we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. Think about that for a second. So I'm a big, you know, CEO and I have a Fortune 500 company and look at all the things. And we get, well, we just puff up and everything like that. And, we just, and then, you know, maybe we have a 10-year, 5, 10 years, which is impressive. Or, or whatever you rule or whatever you're in authority over or something. I mean, if for a moment you have some authority on this earth and we, we get so puffed up. Now think about it. You'll rule and reign forever and ever. Paul even alludes to the fact that we'll govern angels. Think about that. I don't even know what that means. It's overwhelming. You know Matthew 5, verse 5. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us everything? What's your inheritance? The created order, God's glory, co heirs with Christ. I mean, I, I didn't even know how to. We're so impressed with materialism down here. We're so impressed with celebrity fame and this and that. I mean, we're just, we hold these up as being so significant. And they do. They, you know, wealth makes our lives easier. I mean, there's no question about it. And, and freedom and all this, and power is helpful. It's nice to go in and say, oh, here you go. You know, Mr. Smith, please come right over here. Here's your table that we have reserved for you. And they know, I mean, all these things are nice pleasantries down here. I, I, I'm not suggesting they're not. But on a relative scale, they're so tiny, they're so meaningless relative to what's at stake. If this is true, now this, if this is not true, then you know, it's a big fairy tale. But if this is true, we underestimate... What Jesus went to the cross for. He went to the cross so that we could become his father's inheritance and be co-heirs with him. Does that blow your mind? That blows my mind. But it's hard for me to think about. It's, it's a little bit like Miss Park. I mean, I, I haven't been to that country before. Now we're talking about a new planet. We're talking about something I have, you know, I, I just can't wrap my arms around it. I don't even have words to describe it. And isn't that what they said? 1 Corinthians 2, 9, things which eye has not seen or ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. <laughs> no, I've seen this. Whatever you think it might look like. When you think about heaven, what do you think about? We've talked about this before. Charmin and clouds and Maybe a, some golf and a glass of wine and Corona lifestyle, on be, being on the beach or something like that. My eyes have seen all that. I've been, I've been seen the French, French coast there, Riviera. I've been on Mallorca. I've been on islands. You know, I've been to Italy. I've done that kind of deal. I've been pretty much all over the U.S. I've been at some of the finest clubs, country clubs on the planet, played some of the best golf courses. We get real impressed with all that. My eyes have seen all of that. And, said, and what, what Paul was saying to the Corinthians, he said, but your, I hadn't seen, your eyes have not seen what awaits you. All that God has prepared for those who love him. You know, we do have a little bit of our inheritance now. Ephesians 1 verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed... You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. It's just a pledge, it's a down payment. The Holy Spirit on the inside of you gives you a taste of what the future is going to be like. I've got to be honest with you. Apart from the Holy Spirit, I, I really, everything's kind of meaningless to me now, relative to. The power of the Holy Spirit in my own. Now I don't say that against my wife and my kids and my my ministry and all these different kind of things things are very important. But the most precious thing that I have is the sense that God is with me and walking with me and talking to me daily on the inside. I don't know what it was like before, I'll be honest with you. I just, I can't even remember the days when I couldn't be in the car and just be talking, all of a sudden just break into some spontaneous praise or just say, God, I am so struggling with this. Would you help me? Lord, Lord, you know, just that constant dialogue and conversation via the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for me to remember the day. And that is just a tiny pledge of what God's given us in terms of our future inheritance because as again 1 John says one day we'll see him face to face and we will become like him because we will see him as he truly is again part of our inheritance so as a function of time I just want to look real quickly at Hebrews chapter 11 we're going to and we're going to play a testimony. You know, part of the vision of this church in the early days was that you would have an opportunity to tell your story, those of you who would like to, tell your story, bring you into the studio, produce a little short video, and let you tell your story of your encounter with God, you know, and you hear me say it all the time, but they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And I just think testimonies are incredibly powerful. People can be impacted by your testimony. Sandy's. we're going to play in a minute. Before we do, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11, and I just want you to understand the depth of what is meant by don't get your eyes fixed on this world. You should be seeking your inheritance, uh, a city that has foundations. And we want to look just to this real briefly as it relates to Abraham. Now, catch this, starting in verse Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. He says, Now, by faith Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, the bizarre part of this is that he never actually got that as an inheritance. But God said it was going to be his inheritance. Now, there's different views on whether that means that one day the physical descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, will have their land or not as a physical inheritance. And we know a lot of geopolitical stuff goes on in the Middle East over that very issue. So regardless of which side you fall on, we do believe at Church of the Red Door, primarily at least most of the leadership here, uh, it's it's not a litmus test on your faith because there are different interpretive views, but we do believe that Israel returning to their land is a significant development in the prophetic outflow of what God has promised, and that's why we're involved as we are in Israel and the Jewish believing community there. But regardless of whether you think it's a physical inheritance or not, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. Do you live here as as if this is a foreign land? Do you live in the U.S.? Do you live here in the desert as, as though you live in a foreign land? Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead. Thanks a lot. Abraham's like, thanks a lot, as good as dead. As many descendants as the stars of heaven, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now catch this. All these died in faith without receiving the promised, and I'll put in, inheritance. Is your inheritance here? Are you totally riveted on your inheritance here? You say, well, I don't really get much of an inheritance. My parents died. I don't have any physical inheritance that I, that I know that I'll ever receive. Let me tell you something. you got so much, You got something so far beyond that. Don't get your eyes too set on your here and now perishable, fading inheritance. He says, and they welcome them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Those who say these things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Mm. It's clear. They're seeking a country of their own. Their inheritance, it fades away. If they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. And I think there's where the battle is, isn't it, for most of us? We want to return. We have selective memory. Go back to the way it was before I started following Jesus. I don't know about these sufferings and these trials. I think I want to go back to the way it was. Do you really? They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Let me tell you something. I desire a better country. We live in one of the most beautiful, incredible places on planet Earth. Coachella Valley, at least for seven months out of the year, right? It's incredible. You open up, it's clear, it's clean, it's, you know, it's just so beautiful, flowers everywhere, everything. But it ain't that city. They desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, look. I wish I could have gone in. I, everything had been speculation. Here's what's going to look like. Here's what the cities are going to look like. Here's what the, you know, I mean, I'm just telling you, I haven't seen it. Where's the most extravagant place you've ever been? Where's the place you love to be? Oh, I love to be on the French Riviera. Oh, I love to be in Italy. Oh, I love to be. Oh that I love this little this little island that we took a retreat to, and it was out in the, the crystal ball. I said, I'm just saying, look, there's a better country than that. So, So back to our testimonies. In closing, Sandy Young, who's uh, agreed to do this, she wanted to share her story with you. Uh, She's just going to tell her experience, just not not her whole life, but just a little bit of her experience with God. Let's watch.
1: I liked going to church. I liked um, hearing about God, but I didn't like all of the rules and regulations. My high school years didn't have anything to do with church or getting to know God better, and then I went to college, and that really distanced me from God. I met my husband, Mike, in graduate school. We were married shortly after graduate school. Two years into the marriage, he um, announced to me that he had found somebody else and that he wanted a divorce. And about a month after that, I found out that I was pregnant. So about three years, four years after the divorce, I got a letter um, in the mail, and it was from Mike. And he was apologizing to me for all the pain that he had put me through. Um, his heart was open to, to Jesus, and he reaccepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Over time, after the letter, um, when he would come to pick up our son Brennan, we began to talk. And over time, I felt myself um, kind of lose some of the bitterness and anger that I had about God and the whole concept of God. And over the course of maybe a year, accepted him as my Lord and Savior. We began dating again. Only this time, the relationship had God in it. Four years after we were divorced, we were remarried again in the church that we had both joined. Um, And we started a new life together with our son, who was now four years old. After we were remarried, we had another son. His name was Bryce. And when he was three, he was diagnosed with a form of muscular dystrophy called spinal muscular atrophy. So how do how do we get through this? Well, with the support and prayer from people at our church, um, our faith in God, our family motto became, with God we can do anything. So he is now an attorney, and he's married, and he continues to be the godly person that God helped him to become. It was time to retire, so Mike and I traveled throughout the United States in the winter because you have to get out of Wisconsin in the winter. Um, And we ended up in Orlando, Florida. We were staying at a hotel and um, every day people would meet in the hot tub. More and more people would be joining us. Um, We started praying for people who had requests. We um, talked about scripture. We talked about God. People would be walking by the hot tub and stop and just kind of join in or listen to what we were saying. So jokingly, we called it our Orlando Hot Tub Ministry because it kind of turned into a time when we could just share our faith and share our experiences and um, bring people to God. Anyway, when we got back, Mike was having some physical problems and was eventually diagnosed with stage 4 stomach cancer. Throughout the course of this disease, I felt God's presence with us. I can remember Mike and I going every day for radiation and chemo, and um, Mike was a light to the nurses and the other people who were surrounding him in the chemo room. Um, And there were times when it was difficult. There were times when um, we cried together, a lot of times when we prayed together. There were times when we were angry together at God. But for the most part, Mike felt a peace. He knew that he was gonna go home soon and that he would be face to face with this God that he loved. And he was even excited about that happening. Our prayer at the end was that God would make his suffering short and little. And that's exactly what God did. So seven months after he was diagnosed, he died. And I know that God was with us through it all. For the past 30 years, in the fall, when Mike would hunt in Wisconsin, um, I would vacation in Palm Springs. And so kind of felt like maybe God's calling me to Palm Springs, for some or the area, for some reason. Um, and that all happened within about a year and a half after Mike died. Of all places, I was coming out of a line dance class and I met a dear person who told me about a Bible study that she was going to, which turned out to be an awesome study. And while there, talked to people who had discovered a church called the Church at the Red Door and invited me to go. So I went and um, loved the church, loved the atmosphere. It felt a lot like the church in Orlando. I loved the people who were very welcoming. Um, I was I became um, someone that they used as a greeter, so I could serve at the church. Met people who, again, um, welcomed me, made me feel comfortable. Um, I loved the preaching, so I felt that this was my home. I felt that going to church at the Red Door would um, be what I needed as my family church in.
0: All right, then everybody have a great story. Sandy, where are you? Come on up here, Sandy. I, I didn't tell her. She, now she's I'm going to be in big trouble. But Sandy, where are you? She didn't. Oh, she didn't run out the back, did she? Because her thing came on. Sandy, come up here. Come up here. Come on, Sandy. I feel like the price is right. Come on up, you better. <laughs> So I always wanted to spin that big wheel. (laughs) Come on, Sandy. I'm just going to have, Sandy was a little bit, I don't know if I want to be in this and I'm embarrassed. And I said, so look, your story is beautiful because it's a reflection of God's providential care. Yeah, there's suffering involved and there's trials and there's incredible things. And, And yet, do you see her persevering? What a heart to persevere through that. So all I wanted to say, would you mind closing us in prayer today? I would do that. I would love
1: that. Okay. Let's bow our heads. Father God, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for opening our hearts and our minds and um, helping us to explore our inheritance through Christ. Thank you for all that you have done for me in my life and where you have brought me. I pray that um, you would be with all of us here and that um, we would be able to carry your word forth into the world as we go out these doors. So I pray all these things in your most holy name. Amen.
0: That is awesome. Coming straight from the words of a woman who has a hot tub ministry and a line dancing ministry. It's incredible. It's incredible. We love you. Great now. Well done. All right, hey, we love you, have a great week, and uh, you know, we're, we're about a month away from two services and a bunch of crazy people that you don't know coming back, So, but I'm just telling you, we love you, we love you, have a great week.